the value of investments can fall as well as rise, and losses may be made. I received a brief piece of work from the desk of Russell Silverstone, who is a strategist at 91 in London. It's all to do with central bank activity, which we are eagerly anticipating between now and the end of the week. And it was called Central Banks Forget February, Focus on March. February's only one day in, Russell, so there's not much to forget, but I know what you mean. Please explain. Hello there, Lindsay. No, absolutely. The point of the piece was really... Today's uh, meeting from the Federal Reserve and Thursdays from the Bank of England and the European Central Bank are basically nailed on. The Fed and the ECB have both told us exactly what they're going to do. That is a completely priced in markets and completely expected in terms of consensus outlooks from surveyed economists. So there really shouldn't be any real surprise. My point was rather this is another step in the cumulative tightening um, cycle that we've seen since last year. Yes. And we're getting to the point whereby you know, policy is going to begin to bite and March's meetings will be more interesting because we might see light at the end of the rate hike cycle. Well, let's hope so. Let's have a look. And let me point out that this podcast is being recorded before all three of the central banks make their decisions. Um, so it's looking forward beyond these decisions into March. And Russell is so confident that the predictions that he's going to give now are going to take place that we don't need to do a post-central bank chat. So just give us the predictions of your own and also backed up by a Bloomberg survey. Obviously, you've set me up for a massive foul now, Lindsay. But um, <laughs> I, I, joking aside, Federal Reserve will raise by 0.25% at, at 7 o'clock this, this evening. Um, the reason we're so confident about that is that two of the most important governors outside of the of the chair of the Federal Reserve both told us that's what they want to do. And you know the Fed have been very clear that the magnitude of rate hikes is slowing down, but they still need to raise rates. So, so 0.25% is absolutely nailed on this evening. The European Central Bank back in December told us that they were going to raise by um, 50 basis points, half percent, because inflation was expected to be, well, was predicted to be much higher than they initially thought. So that's very much a done deal and again is priced. The one where I'm a little bit more reluctant to put my reputation on the line is the Bank of England because they are very split. There are members of the Bank of England Monetary Policy Committee that think rates are already too high and there are others that think they are too low. The market's predicting just under 0.5%. If we see a surprise, it will be from the Bank of England and given what's happened to the economy, what's happened to the housing market, which is looking very shaky, there's a real possibility of 25 basis points there rather than 50 basis points that's priced. But if there's a surprise that, the, as I said in the piece, it will come from Threadneedle Street, the home of the Bank of England. Now, let's get to the meat of this, because um, in paragraph two, you say, however, we would argue that investors should be looking beyond this week's meetings to those occurring in March, as this is when things will get very interesting. Why, Russell? Absolutely, because we're getting towards the end of this process. So if you, if, if you look back to this time last year, you know, well, Bank of England were already hiking rates by this time last year, but the Fed had started out, the, the ECB started later. But the point is, cumulatively, we've seen a, a, a rate hiking cycle of actually of historic magnitude, and monetary policy will be very tight relative to a more neutral setting by March. And I think if our view on the global economy is correct, you're also going to see enough evidence from the economy such that the central bank is saying, OK, you know, policy is where we need it to be to rebalance um, demand and supply such that inflation comes down. And that means we can start thinking about 
pausing, going on hold. Um, and so I think March is significant in that it might signal, or at the very least, we can begin to see the end of this rate hiking cycle. And, and, and that's why I think it's far more significant. You say the following. Following this week's gatherings, we will be approaching the point where central banks can sit back and assess how their actions are panning out. In other words, they're going to say, right, uh, let's go back a year and let's see the result of our handiwork. And they'll see the result of the handiwork, I suppose, is coming through. I always use the US 10-year as a, a reference point because it's 70, 70-odd basis points off the highs that we saw of last year of what it was something like 420 425 i can't remember the exact amount but it has come back so in a sense bond traders and investors are saying right we believe that you have done a, a reasonable job once they've done that and let's say that they pronounce it good what they've done they'll sit back you say is it the best scenario that they just take a pause and go on hold yeah, I think that's the most likely case. And the reason I think they go on hold is is I think this episode has absolutely terrified central banks. You know, we'd gone through, what, 20 years of disinflation, struggling to hit inflation targets from below. And now we're struggling to get inflation down, you know, back towards targets. So I think the first thing to say is, you know, even if they go on hold, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to cut. There's an historic episode that the Fed keep talking about, and 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 it was when the, the a chair was called Arthur Burns. So Arthur Burns was 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 like J Powell now, and he saw you know, they raised rates. They were worried about inflation. They saw the economy begin to slow down, and so they cut rates again. And you know, hey presto, inflation went back up again, and expectations became unanchored because the Fed were is like a stop go thing. You know, the economy slow, the Fed cut inflation went up again. They are desperate to avoid that sort of period. So they will keep policy tighter. So, you know, whilst, whilst I think on hold is, is is probably a result for markets, you know, cuts, I think, are, are, are still somewhere away unless, uh, you know, economies really turn over. And, uh, you know, we see clear signs that inflation is coming down very, very quickly indeed, but that doesn't appear that likely at the moment. If they did cut because of market data that was so good, in other words, inflation plunging, that's the main one, I suppose, would they look a bit silly? No, I don't think so. I, I think my, you know, my personal takeaway from all of this is that actually, uh, you know, as individuals, as, as, as businesses, as countries, we all hate inflation. Yes. Um, actually, you know, that, that, I think that's a clear takeaway. So their mandate is very clear. You know, they are they, 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 it's to control prices, and actually, for the Fed, it's a slightly different one to 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 to, to have maximum employment as well. And I don't think they could have done anything else. They needed to get real rates, i.e. inflation-adjusted rates, into positive territory. They need to slow growth down, so you know, things rebalance. So I don't think so. I think there's an element of them flying blind slightly because this is such an unprecedented situation. So, you know, they're taking policy tight, i.e. to levels that will slow growth. They don't really know where that level is. In December, they thought it was just a shade above 5%, but they're sort of honing this sort of this target all the time. So no, I, I don't think they would look silly because at the end of the day, if, if you are data dependent and the data says your monetary policy is too tight, you have to change it. True. And I think they're probably trying to make up for the fact that they perhaps waited a little bit too long to start raising rates. So it would probably be right in the back of their mind that they had been slightly at fault. And so they wouldn't want to make that mistake again. Anyway, you work with the multi-asset team at 91 in London. Now, what about other asset classes apart from the capital markets? Do you think that if, say, the next meeting or the meeting after that, rates go on hold, if everything stays nice and steady? on the inflation front. Do you think market participants would then say, thank you very much, it's all over, and pile in? 
it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, we've seen it. We've seen a good rally so far this year, and I think that's really on the back of Chinese reopening. It's on the back of much lower gas prices, which incidentally will will see inflation come off, particularly in Europe. It's a difficult. If they're going on hold and even thinking about cutting, it will be because inflation's coming down so quickly that that, that actually demand is um, demand is falling, and you know that will hit margins, profitability, and therefore earnings. So it's not necessarily great for equity markets. Uh, I, I think it very much depends. If they manage to, and this isn't absolutely isn't our view, actually recession is coming in the US and in Europe as well. If they manage to glide the economy down to the fabled soft landing, whereby, you know, unemployment goes up a little bit, growth sort of, you know, saunters along just above zero and inflation comes down. I, I think that's clearly a very positive scenario, but that's threading a, a very small needle, to be honest with you, and it doesn't appear that likely at the moment. How are you positioning yourself? So across markets generally, we've turned selectively more positive on duration, bonds that is, um, and particularly in those markets whereby high interest rates are going to hit the housing market. So, you know, Canada, Sweden, South Korea all have very high house prices, all have very leveraged consumers, and yet are all going through an aggressive rate. So those economies look vulnerable. I think in, in, in equity space, I'm a fixed income person, so so not, not my area, but I think we're far more positive on, on Asian equities because of what's going on in China and some, you know, they're less expensive than other markets, but we're still very cautious, I think, on Western equity markets. And finally, one central bank we haven't talked about, but it's probably going to be the most interesting, the lot this year is Japan. Yeah. So, we, you know, we're looking for a, a good opportunity in, in yen. Um, you know, if the Fed do go on hold and, and Japan begin to exit, then the yen, which is a very cheap currency, looks particularly interesting. So that's something we're keeping a very, very close eye on. Russell, thanks so much for your insight. Russell Silverstone is a strategist at 91 in London. This podcast is a marketing communication and is provided for general information only and assumes a certain level of knowledge of financial markets. It is not an invitation to make an investment and should not be construed as advice. The views in this podcast are those of the contributors at the time of publication and do not necessarily reflect those of 91. In South Africa, 91 is an authorised financial services provider.